I'm Poltergeist, and I make inappropriate songs about horror movies. So basically, I just came to see some naked D's and A's for free. Take a peek, take a key. Twelve cabins, twelve vacancies, twelve bodies, mother pray for me. I might go psycho occasionally. One body, too many pray for me, cause we all go a little mad sometimes. Apologies that you can muster from your dread Won't protect you on your bed Nothing will from Pumpkinhead This is not a dream, baby This ain't Halloween, baby When I'm on the scene This is what we call a scream, baby Subscribe on YouTube at Poltergeist OD Follow me on Instagram and the Slasher app At Poltergeist underscore OD Hi, this is Jonathan Doe And you're listening to Sick on Cinema Everybody and welcome to Sick on Cinema. I'm one half of your little bitty buff bunnies, John. <laughs> I'm the other half, Matt. And we have a fucking huge episode here today. Yes. Would you? You're the one who kind of came up with the idea of doing this. Would you like to say what we're doing? It's uh, not Ruben Galindo Jr. No, that will he can be... get fucked for right now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's that. That's rough. <laughs> um, we are having a bit of a conversation. With Jonathan Doe. That's right. The man behind Cinema's Underbelly, uh, the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club podcast, director of Barf Bunny, the man behind Future Productions Vile Video. He has a short in the Symbolic uh, Anthology made by Marcus Cook. Yeah. He's a jack of all trades. Yes. And he's awesome, and this interview's great. Yep. So we're not going to sit around and talk for 20 minutes like we normally do? Yeah, to it, make our podcast an hour and a half. There's no time to fuck around. We're not padding this episode. <laughs> no. We're going to kick it on over to our interview with Jonathan Doe. Yes. Thank you, Jonathan Doe. You're great. Thank you so much. You be the shit, sir. So I guess the best place to start this interview off is kind of like how you start any interview off and just kind of talk a little bit about yourself and like how you got into horror and the extreme genre in particular. Okay. Um, well, my name's Jonathan Doe. I host a YouTube channel called Cinema's Underbelly, um, a podcast called the Uneasy Train Explorers Club, and I have a distribution label called Vile Video Productions, and all three of those endeavors kind of exist under my parent company, Putrid Productions, and uh, I'm also a filmmaker as well as a photographer, and uh, I've been into horror probably as back as far back as I can remember, at least seven years old, and I really got into the extreme world probably around when I was 13 when I first discovered Cannibal Holocaust. And I was really trying to get my hands on Cannibal Holocaust, um, and it hadn't been released yet through uh, Grindhouse Releasing or anything. 
and I was just naive, so I would, like, go to the mall trying to find Cannibal Holocaust, and, like, while in the process of trying to find Cannibal Holocaust, I just discovered all these other, like, exploitation kind of films, and so I kind of fell down that rabbit hole and just fell in love with it, so that's kind of where it all began with me. You know, your channel, Cinema's Underbelly, we'll get into it more here in a bit, but your knowledge on the extreme genre is outstanding, and uh, (laughs) I just wondered, like, do you think in this era, like, with you know so many distribution labels and streaming that the extreme genre has kind of lost its lore a little bit because it's so easy like you know tetro video just announced debris documentar and it's like these films used to be so hard to find but now that's like anybody can pick them up do you think that's like hurt the genre a little bit i do think that it definitely has become a little bit more mainstream especially like with uh all the films that are being released and uh, with like the iceberg and things like that but it doesn't mean that there aren't things that are are not still underground. I mean, when I started my company, uh, Putrid Productions, it originally was a distribution. It was a conservation project and like archival outfit for a bunch of movies that, like, basically were stuck in dead format hell. Films that had never been like released um, or had been released, but then were orphaned projects. A good example of that would be kind of like the unofficial final entry in the guinea pig series lucky sky diamond and i even talked with steven byro who released the guinea pig series and i asked him is there any chance that you guys are going to release lucky sky diamond and he said no way that movie's stuck in some kind of like legal limbo and is never ever going to get released um never going to get re-released in japan never going to get released anywhere else and uh and that's a perfect example of of kind of the stuff that stays underground. Um, basically that's a film that unless you bootleg it or you get lucky and find an original VHS copy and be willing to spend hundreds of dollars, you're not going to be able to get it. And so I think that even though I honestly think it's a good service that a lot of, uh, films are getting like distributed by, uh, I don't know, Severn films, unearth films, things like that, and getting actually like really awesome Blu-ray releases, there's still a whole slew of films that are stuck in in situations where you can only get them through a bootleg, you can only get them if you find an original copy. And so I still think that a lot of the spirit and lore and mystery within the underground still exists, but a lot of those films that used to be mysterious are now easily accessible. So um, I still think we have a long way to go, um, and I think that it's getting a lot of mainstream attention, but there's still... There's still that hunt to find those obscure titles, I think. Yeah, and you brought it up, the iceberg. What what is your opinion on the iceberg? Because this is kind of like a running joke on the podcast that the iceberg format in general kind of irritates me. I just don't think it's very organized. But uh, <clears throat> what is your thoughts on the disturbing film iceberg that came out? I ought to be honest. I think that iceberg was made by someone who is naive and didn't really have a true understanding of the underground. Probably someone who had tipped their toes into our community and talked with friends about it, but probably hadn't seen a lot of the films that are actually on that list because that list just doesn't make sense because, um, I, I I said this in my, in in my, uh, one of my videos that I can't figure out how that, that list is compartmentalized. You know, is it, is it based off of obscurity or is it based off of extremeness? Because, there's things that are listed on there that are 
that don't make sense. Like, um, what is it called? The dark side of porn is, I don't remember what tier it's on, but it's pretty low down there. And that was like a BBC documentary that you can watch on YouTube right now. And like, that's a perfect example. Why is it on the list at all? Because it's not obscure. And then second, why is it so low on the tier? If it's just some kind of documentary, you know, if it's, it's not even violating YouTube guidelines. So it's not, it's not that extreme. So I think it was just made by probably some Redditor or some guy who, heard about these films through word of mouth but hadn't actually seen a lot of them i mean there's things that are on there that are like missing like it's got um like they don't they don't say all of the guinea pig films i think it lists like one or two guinea pig films um and what's the other one uh they do they do the shockumentary and like uh mixtape stuff down at the bottom and they do uh the registrus fetus trilogy but they only list number three yeah. So I feel like, this, like, why wouldn't you list the whole trilogy if you actually knew about the whole trilogy? They just list number three. Same with, like, the Genki Genki films. I think they list, like, Genki Genki 18, 19, and, like, 21. But there's actually 21 volumes of Genki Genki. So this person, like, obviously didn't know those things. And so because this iceberg blew up and it was made by a, a somewhat ignorant person, ignorant information is now spreading around the Internet. And, uh, and so there's a lot of misinformation going around. And there's one thing that I really don't like is it listed, um, the MD Pope films. It listed the snuff R 73 film. And those are films within the underground that we as a community have already like heavily covered. We already fucking know that we as a, we as a community are fucking done with that shit. No one wants to hear about MD Pope anymore. We all know that, uh, Thomas cinema Gore is a freaking piece of shit yeah <laughs> but the, um, the people from the mainstream who are getting attention from this stuff don't know that history don't know any of those things so now we have this huge group of naive people coming in and asking questions and giving attention to a person who doesn't deserve attention and so i think on a positive note i think that the iceberg introduced a lot of people into our community and i think that there are probably genuine people who have wanted to know more about this stuff, probably knew about a Serbian film or knew about human centipede, but didn't know how deep down this rabbit hole goes. And so we probably have added some new members to our community that are pretty cool, but it's also just brought in a whole bunch of just ignorant, dumb people who don't know what they're doing and kind of are just kind of in the way and spreading false information. And it sucks that, films like md pope and snuff r 73 are getting so much clout so much attention and that's like that's kind of not what our community is about so yeah that you pretty much hit the nail on the head of how i feel about it as well especially like with the bottom tier where it's like you know there's things in the bottom tier it's like does it even exist is it it's not a movie it's a it's a shock video kind of thing so yeah yeah it's a bit frustrating but at the same time you are right it does kind of get eyes on a genre that's been long you know kind of hidden away (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's like with the, the whole like mixtape section of the iceberg. It, it is that whole thing is like how many times can you show someone three guys with one hammer without before they just like are just sick and tired of it. Yeah, I mean, I honestly like I I own a lot of different mixtapes. Like I own um, the Ogrish collection and the Stars of the YNC just as a collector. But honestly, I get really it's so. Um, repetitive and just the same shit over and over and over again. And then honestly, I think there's a lot of mixtapes that are actually 
put a lot of work in, like Marcus Cook's uh, MK Ultra series or um, Michael Bellamy's Ultimate Underground Amateur Slaughterfest of Death, like mixtapes can actually have a lot of artistic merit and be really cool. But once you get into the just the extreme shit where it's just compilations of stuff that's taken off of like uh, just like true gore websites, to me it's just lazy. It's like you, you like the fact that Thomas Cinema Gore thinks that he has any like he can even call himself a filmmaker like bro you literally just opened up your like folder and just dumped it all onto a dvd like <laughs> you didn't actually yeah. make anything and uh so i just get i just get kind of tired of hearing about it because people talk about uh fetus munchers or talk about the uh, gore porn films or and i'm just like it all just becomes the same thing after a while and it's just and it's and it literally is the same thing because a lot of it's like the same clips you know like i can't think of it but um i really like the the movie terrible meal which is like an emetophilia puke video and they have like so there's i can't tell you how many mixtapes have clips from uh from terrible meal in it and i'm like i might as well just watch terrible meal like why why right. <laughs> like i don't know i just i just i get that it's extreme it can be disturbing to watch that shit but after a while it's just like you're eating the same shitty junk food over and over and over again. I just get tired of it. Exactly. And again, I recently watched your video about Snuff R73 and about the whole mixtape scene. I thought it was very, very good. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I put a lot of work into that. Had to go down some pretty dark rabbit holes. But I'm, I was hoping that if real information from that would come out, um, that the mystery would finally die because there's so many different rumors and stuff going around about that. And I just wanted to get down to the bottom of it basically. And that's a good place to transition into your channel. Cause yeah. uh, for anyone who's willing to not just get into like disturbing films, but really truly underground cinema that is hard to find, I would highly recommend your channel. Um, Thank you. How did, you know, where did the idea start it? And also what I find so interesting is that you do more of a scripted, voiceover style opposed to like the more off-the-cuff review how did that ideal come and like what made you choose that style over another style uh i had wanted to be a youtuber for a while i actually like made other channels for different things um but i had always wanted to do it for a while and i i mean extreme horror has always been my passion but for a long time it was kind of like a secret you know i would only share it with people that i really knew that i that i could trust I didn't really want to go public with this because I've always had like a huge collection and things like that. But one day I just finally was like, I'm tired of this. I'm going to, I want to make a channel. Like I feel like I was watching other people's stuff and people weren't going into the level of depth that I thought they could. Um, and I, and this isn't like a diss to any other YouTuber. I think there's a lot of great YouTubers out there, but, but there was just, I felt like there was a missing piece there, you know, like, uh, a perfect, like the two things that really, inspired me with uh cinema's underbelly was i really like watching unboxing videos um especially like as a collector if a new edition comes out i want to see like what does it look like and i felt like so many unboxing videos were so tedious to get through and the camera work sucked like it'd be a person talking about how their how the mailman fucking almost lost their package like i don't care about that dude like get to the dvd i want to see the i want to see the dvd uh and sometimes the camera would work, which sucks. So they would flash the front of it. They may not even open it. And so I'm having to like go through all of these, like navigate all of these videos to find an actual good unboxing video. And I was like, 
man, I wish someone would have better cinematography and actually record the unboxings a lot better. And then I wanted to do, I said, I wish there was review people out there that would review more about the context and the history behind the film. And so I kind of got the idea of like, well, what if I just incorporate both of those things into like a channel where I review the movies, but I also uh, have that kind of cinematography showing the cover and showing the spine and showing what it looks like. And so in the early stage of cinema's underbelly, that's what it was, was me just showing, uh, showing the, the discs and uh, talking in depth about the film. And since then, I've been incorporating clips from the movie as well. Um, but originally, like, if you look at my old videos, it's really just me uh, showing in depth, like, the discs and talking in depth about the films. And the reason I went down that route was I wanted I wanted to stand out. There's so many YouTubers that are just them standing in front of their collection and talking about the movie, which is fine. There's actually a lot of great YouTubers out there that do do that. But if I was going to come onto the scene and, and kind of contribute to the YouTube horror community, I wanted to bring something new to the table. So that's kind of the approach that I took. Yeah, I, I really love it because it's like it feels more like a commentary than just a review. And, you know, yeah. you're given the history of everything and it's just such a unique style. And, you know, I really love it. And that's how I was introduced to your your work. And um, another thing I want to talk about is, you know, the movies you're covering, the style of film you're covering. You gotta get a little fee- uh, a backlash, a little bit. What? What can you say? There's a if there's a particular review you've done or something like that that's more controversial, or maybe it's the movie itself opposed to what you said. Is there one that maybe sticks out? Uh, pretty much any movie that I review that covers the more taboo topics, like a Serbian film or Melancholy Durango, like those are films that people will will kind of have nasty comments towards like the baby scene in a Serbian film. People go, that's too far. I can't, I can't handle that. How do you like that stuff? Um, and with, uh, Mari and Dora shit, anything that has to do with like animals being killed on screen, um, people get upset about that too. But I try to have just an objective and biased take when I talk about that kind of stuff and, and not put my opinion in there. And these films do have, I look at, them as having cinematic historical significance um and yeah they have uh per, based on your perception problematic content um but that's not what i'm going to be talking about i'm going to be talking about i'll talk about the problematic content and that's probably why the why the film has the legacy that it does but i'm real. i try to avoid putting in my two cents and saying well this is how i feel i might say i like the film or didn't like the film but i tr- i try to just almost have it be like I'm a encyclopedia. Like you're watching an encyclopedia video of me explaining the history and everything about those films. But I would say the three big ones was Melancholy Durangle, a Serbian film, and then Traces of Death. I get a lot of comments. And probably the Snuff R73 people people go, how can you watch this kind of stuff? Probably the most common joke I get is people think that I'm, uh, I don't know, a lunatic or, or I might have some kind of mental issue with the fact that I like all of these movies. Um, one comment that really sticks out to me was someone said, Hey, when you bring girls over to your apartment, uh, do you just like let them look at your collection? And then when they're in shock, you hit a hammer over their head. And I was like, or <laughs> sure, whatever, dude. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, so 
it's funny the judgment or guesses that people make about my character because I'm reviewing this kind of content and kind of the criticisms that people make, but I really don't get offended by it because I can point the finger right back at them. Like, you're out, you came to this video too. I didn't make you come watch this. Like, you went out of your way. If you're if you're going to a video about Snuff R73 or Traces of Death, you've been going down this rabbit hole for a while. And if you're going to be judging me because I'm reviewing this shit, you should be questioning yourself while you're watching the video. You know, so it's like we're both if we're both fucking weirdos, then you're a weirdo, too. You know, so I don't really get fucked up on on nasty comments. I kind of just ignore them. Yeah, it's a it's that thing where it's like, you know, a person will go to a YouTube video of a song they don't like just to tell people they don't like it. It's yeah, like... it's, it, it honestly <laughs> makes me laugh. It's like out of all the free time that you had in the world, you decided to go out of your way to find content that makes you upset. Yeah, like, <laughs> sounds like you had got some work some shit to figure out bro <laughs> what so. um what got you into the more underground like japanese fetish style stuff because i find that interesting because it's so hard to find like it's the it's one of the hardest genres to seek out so how did like how did you get into that like your what was your journey into like finding these movies and being able to watch them uh i've i've always i kind of enjoy the feeling of t- pushing my own boundaries so uh, basically, like a good example is the first time I ever, like, tried to sit down and watch um, a Serp or August Underground, uh, and they they go down to the basement and the girls all tied up um, and they're just being so malicious. I was like, wow, this is too mean spirited. Fuck this, and I turned it off. But then it like haunted me. It was like, you're really a chicken. You you chickened out. You're not gonna watch this movie, and so it just like itched my brain forever. Like you got you like you gotta finish it. And so I sat and pushed, pushed through uh, the August Underground trilogy and was like, I really felt this sense of accomplishment that I actually made it through that whole thing. And so I kind of, how it, how it's just kind of evolved is is I'll come across a film and I go, oh, that's too far. I'm not going to watch that. And then I almost challenge myself like, okay, well, now, now this is the one that you have to conquer. You have to conquer this movie. And I think for most people when you start down this road, you start with the extreme horror themed stuff, but it kind of caps off at a point and you go, okay, well, what else is out there? And then it, and it falls down the, the fetish gore and that kind of stuff. Like I got into, um, Lucifer Valentine films. Those were really, those were really gnarly for me. And I think that that was the bridge between me watching, uh, like fetish gore stuff to just watching straight fetish stuff. And so I had known about a terrible meal for a long time, but I ended up uh, like dismissing it over and over again. Like, oh, I'm not going to watch that. And one day I sat down and watched it and I actually was able to see kind of the artistic merit within that film. And I got curious because a lot of like Japanese fetish stuff is not just it's not just straight fetish. There's usually like some kind of like micro narrative that's going on and there's just weird artistic approaches that they take that are uh, interesting. Like, why did you do that? Like, I think about um, Squirmfest, and at the beginning of, like, I found a version of Squirmfest that, Squirmfest that had uh, subtitles, and it's about a girl waiting for her piano teacher to come. And they present her a, a plate of spaghetti, and the spaghetti turns into worms, and she eats the worms, and it's like, if it was just a straight scat video, then they would just get straight into scat. But the fact that the, that they had this whole narrative about a, a teacher and they're trans, 
transforming spaghetti into worms like that that right there has artistic merit and so it makes me curious like uh i don't know but it's just it's just interesting to me to me it's you can't dismiss it like it's just to me it almost falls closer into the category of the, the lucifer valentine films that there's art within this fetish content and to me that's what's really interesting about it and basically i just kind of you learn you you find yourself in these communities of people who uh, are into this kind of shit and you just learn about it more and more and more and people i was in different facebook groups and people would post pictures of new films that they got and so you kind of just learn about it a little bit more and a little bit more and um that's how i kind of got my education into that that little pocket of cinema yeah and it's funny too because you kind of brought up a little bit where it's like everyone you know everyone kind of has their thing that they're into more than others but like i do find it funny that we're into this like genre that's meant to disturb and bother us yet we all have like these like boundaries in a way it's like okay puke is okay as long as it's in this style of movie but not this style of movie (laughs) Yeah, it's yeah. Like, like why is that you know <laughs> or for instance like yeah. uh, like torment that came out from unearth films like why that pushed so many buttons i'll never understand honestly i think that as a community we're so used to watching sexual violence be inflicted on women and it's rare it's rare that you see the tables being turned where it's the sexual violence is being inflicted on a man and i think with that happening, it made a lot of people feel uncomfortable. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I don't want to get butt raped, you know? Yeah. And so I think, <laughs> like, this makes me feel uncomfortable. And to me, that's what extreme cinema is all about, is about pushing boundaries and kind of making you think. And, and if we're people who, as a community, we are used to watching sexual violence being inflicted on women, and then suddenly when it's being inflicted on us are being inflicted on men not that women aren't a part of the extreme underground they definitely are um but but it kind of gives you a a moment of reflection and being like oh shit like (laughs) how does it feel to be a woman and watching basically a genre where like 90 percent of the content is is violence being inflicted on them it kind of flipped the it kind of turned the tables on us on on men and i think that was good (laughs) like that needs to happen so um I mean, I think Torment as a film isn't, like, a great movie, but the fact that it incorporated that content uh, definitely makes you think, and that's what I think that, that these films are supposed to do, is make is challenge your challenge your boundaries and make you question who you are, so. Yeah, it's kind of like Cannibal as well by, like, Mario Andor. Like, you hear a lot of people talk about that, and I'm like, is it because it is as disturbing as it is or because it has a lot of gay sex in it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Let's talk about your podcast, because uh, the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club. I-, I found this podcast to be super fascinating, because not only did you cover like film and stuff like that, but you step into like the world of like dark side of porn, and uh, didn't you have the guy on who like ate his foot? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did this start, uh, and uh, is there going to be more of it? Because it's a fantastic podcast. Yeah, so basically my interests like expand beyond just film. Um, I, it's film and cinema is like my, my passion for sure. That's, that's my main interests, but I just love, I just love things that are out of the norm out that exists outside of the mainstream, um, just unique niche communities and things like that. 
And kind of where the idea of the podcast first came was uh, I was at a convention and um, let me think of his name. Uh, Sid Haig, Sid Haig was at a convention and I had met Sid Haig several times at a convention and I was like, but I had, I think I had lost an autograph from him or something like that. And I was kind of in a rush when I was at this convention and I was like, you know what? I'll just get it from him next time. Don't worry about it. And then he ended up passing away and I was like, holy shit. Like that was my one, that was my last chance. And I didn't realize that was my last chance to like talk to this guy or, or get his autograph or anything like that. And it made me think like there should be like so many, especially, especially a lot of the exploitation films, like that from the seventies and the eighties, like the people that were in them are getting older and there's, and there's going to be a moment sooner than later that these people are going to be gone. And so I was like, it'd be good to create some kind of archive where these people can talk about their careers and their experiences. And so that's what I started. I said, I'm going to start a podcast and, interview these iconic people from from the underground but i was like i want this to stand out and this is an opportunity for me to kind of explore the under other interests that i have like i have an interest in in pornography i have an interest in oddities and rarities i have an interest in um just anything bizarre or or not that those things are bizarre but um anything that's kind of niche and so I was like, well, I'm going to expand this podcast to, yeah, I'm going to talk about horror, obviously, and talk about the underground, obviously, but I'm going to also talk to talk to all the other people that I'm interested in talking to. Um, I'm interested in the guy that ate his own foot, you know? I'm interested in uh, serial killers, and I'm interested in porn stars. And so um, I just basically, like, reach out to anyone that I think is unique, anyone that is interesting. I've been trying super hard to find uh, a crime scene cleaning company to talk to, and uh, I've, I've had a couple leads, but it always fell through. But anything like that, like, think about the person who fucking cleans up the, the dead bodies on the highway. Like, what is that like? What is that job like? How does it work, you know? Mm. And so that that's kind of where the podcast, the whole point of the podcast is, is, is to take the listener into a world that they may not be familiar with for an hour or so. Um, it's currently on pause while I'm working on uh, the movies that I'm working on, but basically once Barf Bunny gets released, I'm, I plan on kind of moving forward forward with that. I'm basically going to count like I've got 14 episodes right now. I'm just going to count that as like season one, and then <laughs> and then once I start up again, it'll be season two. And I've got a whole bunch of people in mind that I'm going to reach out to and kind of start it again. But I got to wait for Barf Bunny to get released because. Uh, I only have so much time, you know. Yeah. So, but I'm glad that people like it. So. Um, and you also released some uh, photography books. Um, yeah. Talk about that a little bit, because that is awesome too. Like the fact that you're like you're expanding in all these different territories is, is really cool, because you're not letting yourself to be pigeonholed into one thing. But yeah. Talk about your art books a little bit. Yeah. So I started a a photo book series called shrouded domains and it's basically intended to explore things that are easy to see but that people dismiss that they see regularly so the first one is on roadkill and it's called animalia mortem and basically everybody if you if you have a job and you drive for whatever reason like you come across roadkill all the time but most people don't acknowledge, like, basically, once it leaves your line of sight, you don't even see it anymore. It just looks like rubbish on the road, like any any piece of trash. And 
I just thought it would be interesting to create a whole photo book series where basically any, I would just do my normal routines, drive to work, drive, go, go grocery shopping, do whatever. And anytime I saw roadkill, I would take a picture of it. And I did this for eight months straight. And I wanted to just create a video of like, look how much roadkill you come across in an eight, eight month period. Um, and, and it turned into this whole book. So I released that book. Um, and then I'm currently COVID kind of, kind of put a pause on it, but, um, I want to do a book on basically abandoned and run down buildings and stuff like that. Um, I'm from San Diego. So, uh, and there's a lot of conventions I go to that are up in Vegas and like just the drive from San Diego to Vegas, you come across so many abandoned, abandoned buildings and things like that. So the second one's going to be called world's forgotten and it's going to be abandoned buildings and graffiti and stuff like that. Urban exploring kind of stuff. So, and then I have another one that I want to do the third one. And I don't know when it'll happen, but it's going to be called thanatology and it's going to be photos of dead bodies. Kind of, I'm really inspired by Kiyotaka Sarasaki who did like Orozco the Embalmer, but he has a bunch of photo books too. I actually, um, Animalia Mortem is uh, dedicated to Kiyotaka Sarasaki. Like if you open the book, it's dedicated to him. Uh, he's a big inspiration for me. Um, so I want to do a thanatology book. Uh, I've been to Africa before I was in Rwanda, and there's a lot of uh, kind of museums and landmarks that are dedicated to the genocide that happens there. And I've visited those places, and there's all kinds of mummified bodies and skulls and stuff like that. And so I eventually at some point would like to do a photo book series traveling to different places like that and taking pictures of, of the of the bodies and things like that there because at least in those parts of the world that's another thing that is uh in plain sight but it, but is hidden to a degree and so i think that would be a, an interesting thing too but it really just depends on how much attention my photo books get and and probably out of all the work that i do my photo books probably get the least amount of, te- of attention but i mostly do it for myself you know that's just kind of my passion project so the people that do like it it's pretty cool yeah, in in your interview with James Bell, you talked about getting hate for the the one with Roadkill, and I found that interesting because I think in a way it kind of like sums up why people hate the disturbing genre because it forces you to like look at something that you don't really want to see. Yeah. yeah, talk about that. Like, did people buy the book and like just get mad about it, or what happened there? Well, one thing that I think is really interesting is um, that people get really fucked up on animal death but only specific animals. They care more about some animals than others. So um, my photo book is mostly pictures of like rabbits and raccoons and skunks, but I have two pictures in there that are of cats, someone's house cat that got out and got run over. And I was just taking pictures of anything that I came across. So I came across two cats and I took pictures of those cats and people were so upset that I had these pictures of these cats. Like I killed the cat, you know, I didn't do shit. I was just driving. I was just driving by like, and how is it any different from me stopping and taking a picture of it or me just driving? I didn't do anything. If, if anything, I kind of look at it like I gave this cat a legacy, you know, cat, house cats probably get die all the time for whatever reason. And this cat's immortalized in my book now. And it's just funny to me, like, like with um, Mari and Dora's uh, Angel's Melancholia, like everyone talks about the cat scene, but the cat is not the only animal that gets killed in that movie. Mm-hmm. A lot of animals get killed in that movie. There's a really graphic slaughtering of a pig 
and pigs cognitively are supposed to be extremely smart, like as smart as a two-year-old. And no one's no one's barking at or upset about this uh, about this pig that dies. Everyone's just upset about the cat scene. And to me, from an ethical standpoint, if you're going to be upset about animals being tortured in a movie, why are you nitpicking uh, the species that's being that's yeah. being killed? Like, be consistent with your with your argument if you're going to do that. And so I think I, that's one thing that I think is interesting too about animal. I personally would never hurt an animal for any art. I think that's that that uh, would be more morally objective to me. But if another person does it, it's interesting. I think we need to reflect on that as a society. Why are you fucked up on this cat, but you don't give a shit about the lizard that was stepped on or the pig that was killed? Yeah. Um, what does that say about you? What does that say about your attitudes towards animals? Like, as much as it's it's deemed problematic and it's whatever, like that piece of that piece of cinema is saying is is putting you in a position where you need to reflect on your your out your character and your attitudes towards different situations. So. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like during the, you know the whole dog dick fiasco that happened not too long ago, where it was like this is wrong, but then we're not going to talk about you know John Waters killed a chicken and pink flamingos, or this movie or this movie or this movie. It's like why if this is wrong, then it all has to be wrong. It can't. No, yeah, you I can't totally pick agree. and choose. I mean, you think about Friday the Thirteenth, they cut a they cut a snake in half in Friday the Thirteenth, and yeah. no one says shit. No one says a single thing about that, and that to me is like. Everybody in the horror, like, you go to a horror convention, I can't tell you how many Friday the 13th shirts and tattoos that I see, um, but a lot of those same people would probably be really upset that I was wearing a Cannibal Holocaust shirt, or mm-hmm. that I was doing whatever, and it's like, your movie is just as guilty as my movie for doing this stuff, so, uh, but yeah, with the whole thing with, with James, my James Bell interview and that whole dog dick thing, like, that's another perfect example, like, of a person going out of their way, like, dog dick is not dog dick is you're going down you want to talk about obscurity like you got to be pretty deep in the underground community to know about what james like about james bell you know like and that's not a criticism to him like he's a true figure within the underground he's a really cool dude so but the fact is is that this youtuber that that mostly talks about mainstream stuff who 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 thinks that she's like deep in the underground for talking about necromantic you know she discovered dog dick and she probably was like, wow, this is fucked up. This would piss me off. <laughs> and so she went out of her way to hunt it and find it. That goes back to kind of the YouTuber, like the reviews that I get, like people going out of their way to expose their self to content that they probably know wholeheartedly from the beginning is going to make them upset. And then when it actually does, they get upset about it. And that's, that's the funny thing is she went out of her way to have a bad time. And then she was upset that she had a bad time. And it's just funny to me. Yeah, like in in her video, um, it's like she talks about the the stuff with the the kittens, but mm-hmm. barely even reflects about the bird at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that that goes back to kind of what I was talking about that we're cherry picking what animals we care about. Yeah, and that's like I forget the name of the movie, but there's like a William Shatner movie where they kill like hundreds of thousands of spiders. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I mean, even uh, what's that movie? Uh, Apocalypse Now. They kill a movie in Apocalypse Now. I mean, we could go on and on. There's even children's movies. I forgot what movie it was. It was like there's some kids' movie. I'd have to, I'd have to look up the name. Someone, one of your listeners might know. But they there's a scene where a cat like goes down a waterfall, 
and I was like looking looking into this, and apparently they wanted to get the right shot, so they literally brought like boxes of dozens of cats and just chucked cats down this fucking waterfall to get the right shot. <laughs> you know, like you see this cat go to the waterfall, like twelve cats died for that scene. You know, <laughs> and no one talks about that shit either. So Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's wild. You, yeah. You go from the eighties back back, we didn't care about animals in films. No. So I don't know. That's interesting. So let's uh let's move into you as a filmmaker because you know, you you got some stuff coming out we won't talk about here eventually. But uh was there like a movie that sparked your wanting to do it? Was there a director that was like, Alright, this is this makes me want to do it? Like, how did you get into wanting to be a filmmaker? Uh, I mean, I've wanted to be a filmmaker as far back as I can remember. Like, uh, I remember I was really into, I've always liked adventure movies. Like, I really liked movies where people are trying to survive who got stranded in the woods. Movies like the Jungle Cannibal films where people are stuck in the jungle trying to survive. And I remember being in, like, third grade and wanting to make, I grew up in a small little town called Idlewild, which is in California. It's a little mountain town. And I was like, oh, it'd be so cool. I had my dog. I was like, I'm going to make a movie about a wolf like hunting people down and they have to survive. And I was like in third grade and I was like, oh, it'd be super cool if I had my dog and my dog's like chasing people or whatever. And yeah, I had like a bunch of friends and I would say like, hey, let's make a movie. And they were like, I don't want to die in your movie. I don't know, just stupid stuff like that. But it, when I got older, I went to film school for a little bit. I didn't graduate, but I, I made a couple student films, made three films from there um and really what i talked about i talked about going to africa i went to africa when i was 19 and i was there for two months and it was a pretty sketchy there was parts of it that were very sketchy because we didn't go through any agency we literally just backpacked through africa and there was this part when we were on a bus through tanzania and basically it was like the fastest route that we could take but it was also one of the most unmaintained dangerous roads that you could go on like literally there was parts where we were just driving through the desert like it's not there's not a fucking road and basically what we were told is that buses would break down and i don't know pirates would come and just rob the bus and i don't know what else oh my god (laughs) being fucking scared as shit and being like fuck man i don't know if we're gonna (laughs) i don't know if i'm gonna make it out of here And I remember thinking, like, what is it? Like, what am I going to do? Like, if I survive this, what am I going to do with my life? It was, like, this really reflective moment. Like, what am I going to do? And I literally, in that moment, at 19, thought of Putrid Productions and thought of, like, I'm going to be a filmmaker. I'm going to make movies. I'm going to make horror movies. And it was on that bus I thought of Putrid Productions. And basically from there, uh, when I came home, when I made it home from Africa, uh, that's when I went to film school. And then... I really got heavily discouraged by my family uh, to not pursue film and that it was a bullshit route to go down. And that's not, I don't know, that's not a, a lucrative approach to trying to create a career. So I was heavily discouraged by it. And uh, then, so I, so I went down, I, be, I worked in the psychology field for a long time and did all that kind of stuff. And I really just fucking hated the job. You know, I, I was good at the job, but I, but I, I didn't feel like I was happy waking up in the morning or anything like that. And that's kind of where Cinema's Underbelly started. That's where all that stuff kind of started. And I've always had that drive to be a filmmaker. But I kind of wanted to get a recognition recognition first, you know? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to build up 
oh, well, if I, if I become a recognizable YouTuber or if I have this podcast and kind of show my uh, craft or show my knowledge with this, these kind of films, then when I finally do make a film, people will be excited about it, you know? So I kind of put filmmaking on the back burner and focused really hard on the YouTube stuff, the podcast stuff, all that kind of stuff. And then that leads up to, I mean, I, I did a short film for Symbolicus, Marcus Cook's anthology Symbolicus, um, and then I also did like a little shockumentary trilogy called Carving the Cadaver, which is just kind of like a collection of, um, archival footage of different autopsies and stuff like that. But I would say that like Barf Bunny's my love letter to the extreme fetish films that I really like. And I'm excited about it because now I have the attention and, and I would say validity, validity to make something like that, you know? So even though it was kind of a rough bumpy road to actually becoming a film like a legitimate filmmaker i i kind of wouldn't change any with anything that i did and how i got here yeah um let's talk about barf bunny a little bit because we you graciously gave us an opportunity to watch it and we both very much enjoyed it yes. <laughs> um where did the ideal come from <clears throat> well basically for me as a filmmaker like I, I basically build ideas off of the resources that I have available. So um, with Barf Bunny, how I, I wanted for a long, long time, I wanted to make a, a puke movie um, and have it be kind of a love letter to like fetish, fetish, like that kind of fetish, fetish cinema stuff. Like, like we talked about Terrible Meal and Squirm Fest, but also towards um, the other like fetish gore stuff, like, uh, tumbling doll of flesh it's it's kind of directed towards like the extreme asian cinema um and but i didn't have any actors that i knew that were into that kind of stuff and <clears throat> i had felicia fisher who has been in a lot of a broke house uh films uh come on my podcast and she came on my podca- podcast because sam held made a documentary about her called the odd world of felicia fisher and so I had her on the podcast, and I was interested in possibly bringing up an idea of us working together, but I wanted to just do the interview with her and kind of see how we clicked and how we felt like talking to each other and see if we vibed well. And I felt like we hit it off like right off the gate. And uh, and but I was just basically gonna feel it out and see if I could ask her if she wanted to do something. <clears throat> and I ask all of my guests on my podcast at the ends like. Is there anything you want to plug? Is there anything that you want to promote? And she said that she wants to, she would dream, she would love to be like the next divine. Um, and she would love to be in more horror movies. And so that to me was like the green light, like the invitation to, to propose a concept to her. And so basically after the interview, I usually talk with my guests a little bit after the interview and I basically proposed uh, doing in a metaphilia film with her and she was totally game. She was totally down. She liked the idea. And so once I knew that I had, uh, had an actress, I was like, okay, sweet. And so I started kind of developing the idea of, um, barf bunny. And with the fact that she said she wants to, she would love to be like the next divine. I started thinking about John waters. I started thinking about, I wanted this to be like a gory fun movie. I started thinking about, um, he never dies. The Guinea pig film and how that film's just like a really gory, but kind of goofy. 
And so I wanted to start incorporating a lot of those things. And then Terrible Meal was like my main inspiration with all of that. And so I would say that Barf Bunny is kind of like a mix match of those three films. He Never Dies, John Waters, and Terrible Meal kind of like all together. And I got the con- concept of like, I thought of the idea of Barf Bunny because we were talking about um, she really likes the movie Gummo. And I was thinking about the bunny and Gummo. And so basically Barf Bunny is kind of like uh, like a Peter Rabbit story almost. Like it's a little bunny rabbit in a, in a cabbage patch kind of thing. But then it incorporates that fairy, te- ter- fairy tale element, but it turns into an emetophilia type thing. And uh, it's just kind of like a mix match of all these different aspects of cinema that I really like and wanted to make something really unique and new and uh Felicia's badass dude like she's totally game like to get nasty like her and I are on the same page when it comes to doing shit like I'll, I'll have all these ideas and she's always she's always game and then when we're on set she's like well what if we do this or what if we do that and I, I just really like how Barf Bunny turned out um and I think that people who are like major cinephiles and stuff are gonna notice a lot of the homages, homages and tilts of the hat that I have in that movie as well. Yeah, when you recite all that stuff, it's like, oh yeah, I, I get all that. <laughs> um, how much of the dialogue was written? Because it was fantastic. <laughs> so, basically, I don't write dialogue in my movies. I will literally just say general... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have like a rough idea and when i talk to my actors i'll say okay well this is this is the direction that we're going in you know this is what's happening i told felicia i said you're a bratty bunny and you've been told by everybody that you don't you can't make messes but you're a brat and so you know that if no one's around you don't give a fuck and you're gonna make this big mess and basically this person there's a person that's caught you and you're kind of like showing off to them and being like you're not gonna tell on me you're not gonna do whatever and and Felicia just took that character, took that concept, and just ran with it. And so all of the dialogue is ad-libbed. She just completely thought of it right off the cuff, and and it's awesome. And that's what I, that's what I, that's one thing I love about that movie is like it's really it really allowed Felicia to just show herself. You know, I wasn't trying to direct her, control her, and fit her into a box. I was like, I want you to to bloom and flourish in this and show show your true self in this and i mean yeah she's playing a character but a lot of her personality just comes out in the movie which is really cool so was it difficult to hold it together because like in particular there was a line that i nearly died laughing at where she she's making it she's playing with all the messy food and she's like they won't let me allow to play with my food because they said they'll more end up on a table than in my stomach that's fucking bullshit. And there's like just a pile of shit in front of her, and I died. Was it hard to hold it together while filming this, some of this stuff? Yeah, there was a there was one line. I can't remember the line, but she said something, and I literally like busted up laughing, and I ended up cutting it from the movie because I was like, "Damn!" But like, yeah, she. There was so many. I was trying so hard not to <clears throat> crack up behind the camera because she would just say these lines. Like I was grinning the whole time because she was just. She was just fucking killing it. She was being so funny, and she just thought of the funniest stuff. Um, and she just really nailed the character. Like, one of my favorite lines is, she's like, do you think if I swallow a seed, it's going to grow in my tummy? Like, she just would think of these really great, great lines. And um, that's one of the great things about working with her is, and her and I have done other projects uh, following this that, that aren't really announced yet, but 
she's so good at ad-libbing and just like you, you give her a character and you say this is kind of our motivation this is what we're gonna do and she can just fucking kick ass with it and i mean i i don't think i'm great at writing dialogue so, so i think i i really kind of take there's a whole genre uh, of drama called mumblecore where they basically kind of like ad-lib through all of the stuff that they do and that's kind of a, a major approach that i take with my actors because it just comes off as so authentic and genuine and you're not trying to muscle through shit shitty written lines and stuff you know yeah um one of my favorite aspects about Barf Bunny is the fact that if it just feels like it's from a different world than ours. Like, yeah. it, it, again, you described it as, you know, like a, a fantasy world. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a major compliment, man. Like, that's exactly the approach that I wanted to take with it. And it's really great to, I've showed it to a handful of people and everybody kind of, kind of, takes away from it exactly what I wanted to create from it. And the thing about Barf Bunny is like, it's the first time I've made a whole bunch of different films in my life. It's the first time I've ever made a film where I was literally able to take the images and content that I had in my head and turn it into something tangible and real. And so I really was able to project what was in my brain and put it in there. And that's a major thanks to Marcus Cook and, Jesse Seitz and Felicia Fisher that it was like a perfect dream team and we were able to really make something I think something pretty great so yeah and it's funny because like for a movie that that's about you know puking the word I think I would describe it is almost whimsical and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah and a part of that I think is the classical music you put over it where did that ideal come from because that was a that was a fantastic choice <laughs> well that, that's kind of more of a tilt of the hat towards a lot of the uh fetish films that i'm inspired by so there's i think that there's classical music in squirm fest um there might be classical music in terrible meal i don't remember and i really kind of wanted to borrow borrow from that kind of energy and i really felt like it would kind of create its own thing because because you're in this magical world with barf bunny and so putting the classical music in it i was like oh this is perfect and um we won't get into like the ending or whatever, but the song that I picked at the end, I was looking up classical music, and then that that song at the very end, I was like, "Oh, this is it. This is the song." And uh, yeah, I think the classical music really just just really complements the film and gives it a, a whole new vibe and energy that is just really keeps keeps you intrigued the whole time. So when when can we expect to see Barf Bunny out? So, well. Uh, the pre-order will have actually been launched by the time this podcast comes out. The pre-order is going to start June 1st, and then the uh, movie will be available, I think, July 20th. So, And there's going to be tons and tons of awesome things that people can get with the pre-order. The movie is going to be a two-disc DVD set. There's going to be two cuts of the movie. There's going to be an emetophilia cut and then a fetish core cut. You guys saw the fetish core cut, so there's another cut that you guys haven't seen. And it's going to be like a choose-your-own-adventure. Like, what do you want to happen to this barf bunny? Do you want her to play with puke, or do you want something gory to happen to her? Uh, and then there's the other disc is going to have like a making-of barf bunny segment. There's going to be interviews with Felicia, interviews with a couple other people on there, um, and just lots of cool like behind-the-scenes stuff with that. Um, and then also this will probably be out too, but, uh, after, after we finish shooting Barf Bunny, 
Felicia and I wanted to celebrate. So we went on a four-day road trip around Chicago because we shot Barf Bunny in Chicago. And her and I are really big true crime fans. So we drove around and looked at all the different true crime, um, like dark tourism spots around Chicago and Milwaukee. Um, So we went to the spots where like with Jeffrey Dahmer and all that stuff. So that's honestly going to be uploaded to YouTube probably within the next two or three days. So that's going to be interesting. That's like, if you, if you like Felicia, like that's a really good way to get to know kind of both of us as people. Um, and it's just kind of like a fun video. And that's kind of like my thank you to everybody who's like supported this stuff. Like we're so proud of what we created and we wanted to celebrate and we wanted to bring everybody with us to come celebrate with us. Cause we think we made a really good movie. That's awesome, man. And uh, like I said, we putting our stamp on it. We say, go check it out. I think it's well worth your time. It's very good. Awesome. Oh, the other thing I was going to say with this, uh, with the pre-order is I'm selling tons and tons of the props from the movie. I'm not going to go down Indiegogo route because everyone I know who's done Indiegogo has kind of gotten fucked over by them. But if you go to the Putrid Productions website, I'm going to have basically all the props from the movie. I'm going to have the the bunny outfit that Felicia wore in the movie available. I'm going to have the carrot that she uses to make herself puke available. All that stuff's going to be available for people to purchase, so... And all that money is going to go to the next segment in the Erotic Grotesque Nonsense series. That, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, from from us here, that your uh, your movie Bar Bunny gets the single cinema uh, stamp of stamp of approval. <laughs> For what that ever that means. <laughs> um, that means a lot, guys. Thank you. So uh, you know, talk a little bit about what's next and what's on the horizon for you. Um, we are working on, actually, we have already shot the second segment in the Erotic Grotesque Nonsense series. It's been filmed. It's in post-production right now. Um, there's a lot of work that I want to put into editing with it. So, um, that's probably going to come out later, but that's going to be each one of my projects. I want to be, uh, kind of my thank you to the genres that I like. So I made the erotic, I made the Carving the Cadaver Trilogy, that's kind of my love letter to shockumentary films. I made Barf Bunny, that's my love letter to um, like fetish gore kind of content. And then this next one is going to be kind of my love letter to pseudo-snuff and found footage kind of shit. And it's going to be really fucking brutal, really ruthless. I think it's going to take the grossness of Barf Bunny to like turn it up. So that's going to be pretty intense. And that also stars Felicia Fisher. Uh, it's gonna be a comp- it's gonna have completely different energy, completely different vibe. It's gonna feel like there's gonna be no correlation between the two. And that's really what I want to do as a filmmaker. Is each one of my films feels so different than the next. So that'll probably be coming out in November. So people can look out for that. But that's gonna be fucking gnarly. So that's awesome. And um. Before we wrap all this up, there's a few like just kind of general questions that we like to kind of ask people. Um, okay. If you could pick one movie in the extreme genre, the underground genre, to get a really good special edition and finally get put out in the world, what would it be? Because like we always reference Muzani here, and that's the one that I want to come out more than anything. <laughs> yeah. So what would that movie uh, be for you? I would probably say The Green Elephant. I would love to see, because uh, all the all the copies of Green Elephant that I've got are really like the vi- the video quality is really shitty, and I would love to see something with special features, something like 
I mean, that movie is not going to, you're not going to make it look like a Blu-ray, but clean it up a little bit or actually have the original negatives or whatever for that movie in there. And I would love to see Green Elephant get a, a, an official release. I think that'd be really cool. Um, What do you think is, what is the scariest movie you've ever seen? Because we've talked a lot about disturbing, but you're also just a horror fan and too. What's the, what do you think the scariest movie you've ever seen is? Uh, I mean, I talked about this on my Q&A. Like, I have an iron stomach. I can literally watch the nastiest fucked up stuff ever. You can show me, like, the grossest fetish stuff or the gnarliest, like, snuff videos, and I'm totally okay. But I'm actually, like, a pretty big scaredy cat. I can get scared pretty easily. Uh, and I would honestly, uh... Well, when I was younger, I had a traumatic brain injury, and I saw a lot of hallucinations. So things that have to do with mental illness have to do with hallucinations really scare me. So, like, the first time I saw The Sixth Sense, that scared the shit out of me. Um, anything that has to do with someone not being lucid and, and seeing demons, that kind of stuff really fucks me up, really scares me, just because it's it hits close to home with me. So, And I think fear is just so relative, like... What scares one person may not scare another. Like, I thought Paranormal Activity, the first one, was really fucking scary. <laughs> and other people will clown on me for that. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, that gate, that gatekeeping in the horror community can get kind of irritating sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It's so. like, if you like it, you like it. It don't matter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the same as people saying, oh, a Serbian film's too far. And I, I'm not going to clown on you or give you a hard time for that. Like, I'm glad you know your boundaries, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's an interesting question. Do you think there is like as long as you have consenting adults, is there a far too far? Is there a line that can be pushed too far? I personally don't think so. I think that for me personally, I think that the whole point part, like the whole point of this art craft of making extreme cinema, is to explore the darker parts of the human condition. We all have dark thoughts. We all think of terrible things, and if you are able to uh, cathartically express that in an ethical way. You know, if you want to explore a really rough topic and you're able to find actors that are consenting to participate in that creation and you're able to have effects teams that can simulate that kind of stuff, I don't think there, there should be any boundary. I think you should be able to explore that because you're not doing it in a bad way. I, I do think that there are arguments for people to say, like, killing animals in movies is not okay or exploiting people and forcing actors to do stuff is not okay. But if you have an entire team who's willing to do something and, and do, and it's consensual and it's ethically accomplished, I think that people should be allowed to explore those avenues. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and I guess last is the question that I think our listeners like the most, even though it's so subjective and it's so broad and there's so many caveats, what do you think is the most disturbing movie you've ever seen? Uh, I mean, that's... It's kind of evolved over the years, you know? Like, the first time I saw a Serbian film, that was a very... Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, the first time I saw a Serbian film, that was that was extremely disturbing to me. I'd never seen anything like that. But my threshold has just kind of gotten expanded more and more and more so what what really comes to my mind is there's this uh extreme japanese fetish video um called the lps series it's often called the animal gore series and the first time i saw this i was like 
holy shit and uh basically it starts out like any kind of japanese porno where they're like doing casting and having the girls like interviewing the girls and they like bring out feathers and they tickle the girls like tickle their feet and stuff like that and then they blindfold them and like take them to another room and uh it's it seems playful and positive at first but when they take them into this other room it's a dungeon and there's a cellar or like a cell and there's a naked guy in there covered in blood and there's real animal parts all over the place there's like guts and pig heads and all kinds of shit and they walk her into the cell and lock the cell and she takes off the she takes off the mask or the blindfold and sees all this shit and the guy just starts throwing guts at her and pouring blood on her and she's like freaking out and then they rape her and it's hard to tell whether it's real or not <laughs> it's like and it's really disturbing like i was watching this and i was like this feels illegal this feels fucked up this feels terrible and like that it's been a long time since i've seen something that made me feel sick to my stomach and really the lps animal gore films are really really rough really hard to find um and i like to think that they were all simulated and that it was all consensual because it was actually made by a production company and 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 they actually had real like releases and stuff like that but also knowing that uh especially back in the 80s the yakuza had a big hand in like the distribution of pornography i, I know that it's possible that it's not consensual um and so the fact that that is kind of up in the air for me makes those videos really really disturbing yeah, and I think that's an interesting thing, too, where it's like, you know, you talk about, like, having, like, an iron stomach, and I think that's the reason we, as fans of the extreme, are such fans, is it is almost like a chasing the dragon thing. You know, like, yeah. when I was a young, when I was a kid, I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre scared the shit out of me, and forever I'm trying to find that feeling again, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. like, nothing yeah, has yeah. yet to catch it. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean that's how I got down this road that I'm far, I'm at. You know, I just keep chasing that feeling of being disturbed, and it just gets gnarlier and gnarlier. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, before we wrap this up, man, is there anything you want to plug? Anything else you want to talk about? Uh, pre-order for Barf Bunny starts June first. Uh, it's gonna be really cool. Uh, definitely check it out. Um, and uh, check out <clears throat> my YouTube channel, uh, Cinema's Underbelly, my podcast. Uneasy Train Explorers Club, um, and then on, Petri, on the Petri Production website, there's a lot of movies that I have out that uh, that other filmmakers have made, and they're really cool. And uh, I don't know, check me out. So, thank you. All right. Well, thank you very much, sir. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. <laughs>